You are listening to Life Sci AI, the podcast series. Building on series one, we bring you series two, where we are looking to bring you more innovative and amazing ways that AI is being used in the life science industry across Europe. Enjoy the episode. Welcome back to another episode of LifeSite AI podcast series. And this episode is very well timed, um, a really exciting one as well. It's um, with a company called Charco, um, a UK-based startup. And we're really um, grateful to have their founder, Lucy Young, um, on the episode today to talk all about her story and all about Charco. You might have heard of them in the news, um recently um there's some pretty big announcements coming through and interesting we, when we were setting up this episode we knew cypro knew an announcement was coming um but obviously lucy and the team couldn't mention what it was and pretty much a week before it got announced so it was a perfect timing so welcome to the podcast lucy absolute pleasure to have you on Okay, so thank you so much for having us today. Uh, so yes my name is lucy john and i'm very much looking forward to today's talk no worries, especially to have you on. And I think what would be great um, if you start with a little intro into yourself and, and Charco first for everybody who haven't, haven't seen you guys around. Of course. So my name is Lucy Zhang. I did my undergrad in um, industrial design and it's almost like a product design, but more uh, kind of specified in um, what of the topics that you're interested in. Um, I worked briefly in a product design agencies, um, consultancies working on uh, medical devices and consumer um, kind of products. My interest got into uh, medical devices and solutions when I started studying at innovation design engineering course back in 2000, I think 13. Um, at Imperial College and uh, Royal College of it's a double master's course. It's a really interesting course uh, where lots of startup kind of start. Yeah. Um, I got really interested in medtech because um, I really basically wanted to use all of my skills that I do have to help people with long-term conditions and um, mostly um, incurable uh, conditions. So I've worked in um, paralysis, um, uh, multiple sclerosis and insensitivity to pain. And most of them were quite of a project basis at um, university, you know, like you do like three month project, you move on to six month project, and then you have deliverables. And then that's almost, um, you know, end of the project. Mm. Um, so Parkinson's, I have to be honest, it was one of the topic that we kind of chose. Uh, and I think there was lots of uh, reason for that, uh, which uh, one of them was like, it was the fastest growing neurodegenerative condition, meaning lots and lots of people were frustrated. What I have to say kind of got my attention a lot was um, both of my um, grandma have Alzheimer's. It is really painful to kind of see them uh, like kind of losing themselves. Uh, but with Parkinson's, it's really um uh, more like uh, like really kind of came to shock to me that people themselves are there, like they are themselves, but it's almost like the motor symptoms really kind of, um, you know, uh, they're almost trapped in their body. And just um, like one of the moments that I re remember the first time I met with someone with Parkinson's, he was saying, I'm really happy right now, but because of Parkinson's made my face stiff, I can't smile anymore and people think I'm angry all the time. 
And um, from then we were kind of aiming to bring smiles back for people with Parkinson's. Um, so that was back in 2014. We worked on lots of um, kind of uh, prototypes, talked with lots of people with Parkinson's and I had to take massive time off in between because of my own health issue, unfortunately, which kind of taught me that research should not end as a research if there's any potential of uh, us being able to help people with long term conditions, we should do everything to help them. So in uh, 2019, we came back and decided to actually, you know, make a tangible uh, impact into people's lives. So that's kind of a long story short. Um, and that's how Sharko started to develop a medical device um, that um, provides stimulation that combines focus stimulation and cueing phenomena to reduce the symptoms of people with Parkinson's. I hope that covered everything. Yeah, no, that, that's awesome. Um, and we'll go into sort of what underpins Charco and the technology behind it um, in, in a short while. It's absolutely fascinating. Um, what, I'm, what I'm really intrigued by is, and this is what we sort of try and understand everybody who works in this industry, because you can you can you can do a lot of things with the technologies that we that we all are familiar with, um, you know, and, and you can work in different industries, have different um, revenue streams, let's say, that are, that are less comparable. Um, but you can never make as much of an impact. And the, the point there of you having a sort of a personal understanding of um, you know degenerative diseases, um, but then almost not going down sort of the personal route but seeing the perhaps the frustration on the person with, with parkinson's disease so when did that first when did you first see that you said there's a guy who, who who was happy but he couldn't be happy he couldn't say that he was happy or, or persuade people he was happy when did you first when was that when was that moment that you thought this is what i can do it's absolutely that moment, to be honest. So it may feel like it's such a kind of, um, yes, okay, that gentleman can't smile. But if you actually think about it, like imagine that, uh, you know, like um, it's your family members and it's your friends who think you're angry all the time, but you're not angry. Like you're happy, but you can't show that emotion. It's such a big frustration. And it was just like, you know, like, uh, if you f spend few days and if you meet people, a uh, few people with Parkinson's, you'll be able to see, you know, just going for a walk, making a cup of tea, you know, doing buttons on the shirt or any kind of this um, uh, movement really can make them frustrated, not only frustrated, but also like it relates with confidence, it relates with other activities that they can't do. And um, if you can listen to their story, then you understand how frustrating it is. And also most importantly, um, when we are uh, developing this prototype and device, we were constantly working together with the clinicians and you know, um, scientists to actually come up with objective measure and all these clinical measures, which is very, very important. However, I still remember one of our participants, we were continuously doing evaluation and he asked me, like, Lucy, why are you constantly just looking into this percentage of improvement if this device can help me just take one more step forward? Um, and he asked me to think about the scenario where he's on a you know, train and he couldn't get out of the train because it was his stop, but he got freeze of gate, which is one of the symptoms for people with Parkinson's and he was stuck. 
and he was just going around and around on the tube, although he wanted to get out. And if you think about, it's just, yes, it's one step, but if he was able to, you know, get out of that train, that it would have made such a difference in his daily life, confidence, emotions, everything. So that kind of made um, us realize how important it is to even do absolutely anything to help people with Parkinson's. So you, I think it's difficult to measure impact when it actually comes to human like when it comes to like their actual daily life and um that was one of the biggest learning that i um uh, had through the um like development of the device and it kind of gives us ease of um thought as well because if you are trying to target into what is clinically significant what is the statistically important measure versus to actually thinking about this individual's um life it makes it much easier for you to actually, I just want this person to take one extra step, then you know, you're know you doing something meaningful. So would you say that you have a more patient or maybe user-centered approach rather than a clinical approach? I, I would never say like one is more important than the other. They're both very, very important, but really interestingly, if you actually talk with lots of um, clinicians, they will at the end of the day say, if it helps with um, patients, then it, it works for them. So although it may kind of like in the beginning when I started, I thought clinicians will kind of look into different things, but it, I don't think it's true. Like um, they look into the same thing. They want people with Parkinson's to benefit. They have a strict kind of criteria and protocol to make sure that it is working for people with Parkinson's. People with Parkinson's obviously want their lives to be better. So I absolutely love it when we talk with clinicians or, you know, a physiotherapist or anyone who is in the Parkinson's area that they all we think about what is the um, improvement with the quality of life so th that was like a, such a great learning and it's uh, incredible to know that at the end of the day everyone is hoping that this helps people which is yeah. absolutely amazing sure now i guess maybe not even from a um clinical versus sort of user approach more like the, a probably better way to phrase it would be a quantitative versus qualitative evidence approach you know you can take the stats and how percent that like you said percentage of how much improved but actually the quality of data of what, what what that one step means for that one person is so much more than just a percentage and a stat um behind it so i i would say uh, is one important than the other i don't think i can give an answer but both are very very important so uh, yeah sorry for being like a crazy but i think both are very very important because we really want to give um, right information to uh, people. So we want to give them right information, saying this amount of people have benefited X amount. People who have this kind of symptom have benefited this versus people who have different symptoms have benefited that. So we are giving right information to people so that they can make their own decision whether they want to go into this or not. And I think the reason why these qualitative and quantitative measures are also important for us is by learning these, we will be able to get to the next stage. So Q1 is named Q1 because this is absolutely kind of beginning of our journey. And we are very excited because we need to learn more. We have to talk with clinicians. We have to talk with every healthcare um, professionals and um, people with Parkinson's. People with Parkinson's, I have to say, being the most important people because we are trying to bring smiles back to them um, and work towards to the next step of, okay, we have to this much. Um, 
what can we do more? How can we make it better so we can help them more? So I have to say uh, right now, um, our team is lots of engineers, um, you know, clinicians, neuroscientists, um, designers, like we all kind of combine together and work on different measures to make sure that is not only objectively uh, helping, but also subject, well, I'm sorry, uh, they are saying it's helping with the quality of life. So yeah. it's the mixture of um, everything. No, that makes sense. No, no, it does. It does. It does. It's, yeah, it's kind of like the feedback you get from the user on their impact, but also you've got to take like a, a statistical approach. So actually, it's going to actually help you, you know? Um, Absolutely. When, when you when you think about when you started Charco and and spinning out really of your your master's projects um so, so what let's go with the let's go with the technology first what what underpins the device what is it based upon what are the key principles and what's it looking to achieve because you mentioned a few things about different um different um parts of parkinson's um different symptoms of parkinson's and how that can affect people differently so i guess it must be quite challenging to have a device that has different symptoms I absolutely love this story because um, lots of people kind of ask, so where did the idea uh, kind of spark? And uh, it was kind of lots of process. If I can kind of pin it down, it was uh, one of the gentlemen who said when he sits on a massage chair, his symptoms were so much better. So he will be doing that. And I got really curious about what is the massage chair actually doing? I mean, you can kind of think, okay, it's a massage chair, so maybe it's like helping, but I got really kind of really, really curious. So we started making lots of different prototype that was basically functionality-wise doing similar thing that massage chair was doing. Um, and then we started creating like lots and lots of prototypes in different forms, different positions, using different materials and worked together with people with Parkinson's um, at that stage it was just, you know, myself and getting advice from Floyd Perez, who is the co-founder, what kind of measure we have to look into. Um, but every week I'll be looking, um, visiting people with Parkinson's, at least like three, four of them by myself. So it was quite of a um, uh, lots of kind of uh, learning for me, going back to them, preparing the prototype, testing with them, get their feedback. And I always ask for and like still do saying, please give us honest opinion. And we really narrowed down to this device that was really helping with their uh, symptoms. Now, then what we did is um, our co-founder, uh, Floyd Pierce, started getting really interested saying like, actually, what is it actually doing to help reduce the symptoms? And we started digging into the literature. So, so we kind of went back. So we reinvented what has been studied for like very, very long time. So it goes back to 19th century um, of Professor Charcot, where we are kind of named after, oh. where he realized that people who come to him on a carriage ride had a better symptoms. And I love that he also got inspired with this like daily kind of activity. And um, he started uh, realizing that the, you know, the uh, kind of vibration that people are getting through the journey was actually helping reducing the symptoms of Parkinson's. So he developed this whole body stimulation device. Um, and from then onwards, there are lots of studies around whole body stimulation and uh, focus stimulation. And it is actually focus stimulation that has been showing more benefit to individuals. And cueing 
is another thing that has been known for clinicians for and also people with Parkinson's for a very, very long time, where they use kind of a metronome, metronome type of stimulation, whether it is auditory or visual or um, tactile to help with their symptoms, especially with the walking, for example. By combining these um, like already known uh, um, theories and phenomena, we were able to make Q1, which is really helping with various of symptoms. And more importantly, we designed it so that it can be worn through their daily life. So it's not just a research tool anymore. They can actually wear it, one button click, and they are um, getting the stimulation and they are off to go. Wow. And what is the... That sharing all of your secrets. Um, what is, how, so the device is very small. Um, so it fits on someone's chest, right? It, it's probably no, no bigger than a, a coaster that you would put a drink on, right? Uh, on a, very yeah. small, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it's, so how is that stimulating senses? What are you, what are you doing to, to the body with the technology? Well, um, as you mentioned, I think it kind of goes into our uh, like a um, like lots of study that we are currently doing. So, whole body, um, so focus stimulation that we are using um, goes into actually decrease of the beta wave activity, which is often increased with people with Parkinson's. Um, and by reducing the beta wave, it has shown to help with um, faster movement. For example, so rigidity and slowness of movement is one of the biggest symptoms of Parkinson's, which affects, you know, everything, as I mentioned, you know, going for a walk or opening buttons or, um, you know, doing buttons on share. So that has shown to reduce uh, rigidity and slowness. And that is the one of the key parameters that we're looking into, whether it's improved or not using uh, our device. The other thing with the queuing, um, it's basically, um, uh, as, as mentioned, it's giving a metronome type of a signal to help people to carry on with their movement. Right. I, I see. So it's, it's, it's culminating both of those. Um, yes. For it. So is there, are we, what, what sort of technology are we doing to interact with the beta wave? Like, is there, is there signal processing? Is there AI behind it? Like, how is it similar to an ECG type, type sort of technology or? So it's actually mechanical stimulation. It is a vibration. So oh, wow. we call it tactile stimulation, but you can actually feel it. So if you hold on to it like your phone, you'll be able to feel it. Uh, when it's on the sternum, it feels quite different because um, I think there is an element of, you know, um, being on a sternum, it is very close to your bone. So you mm. can actually kind of feel the vibration getting transferred. Um, really interestingly, some people say they can hear it. Some people say they, they couldn't hear it. Sometimes they say, is it actually on or not? Uh, it really depends on individuals. But yes, it's mechanical vibration stimulation that has been formed with the particular frequency and amplitude and um, you know the, uh, the gaps between the stimulation to help with the movement. So lots of study around what kind of stimulation is working best for individual because everyone is different yeah. and it um, it's another massive study that we're currently doing and we're getting close to understanding this particular parameter works better for people who have this stimulation um, and and the others as well yeah no I was going to ask actually that like is is there um, is there a particular device for particular people like do you calibrate each device for each person 
So we have um, stimulation that seem to be working in uh, most of the cohort. So obviously, like we are, I have to say right now, and I have to say this is an open question for us, but so far what we are saying is it's most symptom dependent. So depending on what symptom that they have, particular parameter works better. People who have dominant, for example, freeze of gait, this stimulation seems to be working better. So what we are constantly doing is we are collecting the data of what kind of stimulation is working better for individual so that we can implement that to Q2. So um, a lot of R&D. Yeah, so it's, so it's less actually to do with the person, it's more to do with the symptoms that they will have. So when you kind of get to a point where you have like, someone will come to you and say, look, these are my symptoms and you go, right, we'll set it up in this way first and let's see how that, that goes because we know it's going to be based on that type of stuff so even more so what we're where we're getting into is that the device understands individual symptoms wow. so we started um we so we've got a prototype for the next stage where yeah. it's collecting the data where it understands what symptom dominant that individual have yeah. and calibrate itself to give the right stimulation because um Everyone varies so much with people with Parkinson's, depending on their medication being active or not active, like they're really different, depending on the day, they're really different. You can't exactly just give one stimulation and then say, okay, you're good. Um, yeah. It has been working quite great, but I think we can do better. So that's what we are trying to do, get better. Yeah. It's super, super personalized then. Um, oh, that's exactly what we are hoping to do because everyone is different. Yeah, no, sure. Okay, that's, that's exciting. We'll see how, see how far I can go with, with that. I know before we get onto it, so I'm itching to get onto it as well and, and what, what's next for you guys. But just as a, as a founder, um, how have you found, how, well, how have you found it being a founder? <laughs> yeah, that's a really poor question. <laughs> uh, no, 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 that's absolutely amazing uh, question. Um, so I have to say, like, um, lots of times we, like, see some uh, people kind of come to us and ask about how does it feel like being a founder? And, uh, you know, we do get sometimes asked because some people, like, founders look, like, really kind of fancy, like, they're doing what they want to. I have to say, I definitely agree. Yes, we are doing what we want to, and we are, our vision is here, so you know, it's not like work is separate to our life because it's almost like hobby, what you love, what you want to do, everything combined into this, like a company that you're, um, you know, really developing. Um, I think one of the really kind of a big mistakes some people think is that, oh, you must be only working whenever you want to, you must have freedom. Do you have a freedom? I guess, um, to certain level you have a massive freedom of what you choose to do like um, direction that you want to go into however you have to think about lots of things it's not yourself now you're thinking about the company you're thinking about the team you have to think about the people who are kind of um you know trusting in ye uh, and trusting into your vision and also people who are waiting for it. So there is a lots of kind of obligation responsibility um, that kind of follows into it. I um, uh, I have to say, like, I never regretted becoming a founder because yeah. as mentioned, like it is the vision that we always kind of aimed for. And we are very grateful that we can work with this incredible people uh, in our team. Um, but uh, it is uh, quite of a um, journey. You learn so much along the way. You can never learn everything before you start. I think that is um, 
mistake you can't learn everything you learn as you go and as far as your you know what your goal is what your vision is uh you can tackle them you just need to yeah. be uh you know resistant <laughs> yeah you yeah, know just have it have always the, the vision and the the impact you want to make absolutely um, at, at the forefront of, of what you do so you said you, you keep learning and you as a as a lot of a lot of these devices that, that have been on the, the podcast series and companies have been university spin-offs um it seems like most most these days are um so no one who is a, a founder of the university spin-off has a finished article um, for it. So you always will be learning as you go. What would you say the biggest learns that you've had are both from like a business perspective and a um, let's say an engineering R&D perspective? I have to say my biggest learning is that you won't know everything um, and you have to learn as it goes. So sorry about repeating, but yeah, okay. I think it was such a big kind of a game changer for me to accept that I will never know everything. And it's actually very important because um, before I started um, Sharko, uh, I was kind of thinking I never studied business or like I never studied manufacturing. I never studied med tech regulations. So can I actually do this? Actually, again, it kind of goes down to how clear your vision is. And all of these things that you have to do is almost like a, um, you know, a step towards to your goal. So you can get that step done. And then if you actually look into that bigger vision, then these steps kind of feels less of a big burden, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, it's, it's one of the things that you have to tackle to get to your goal. And suddenly it's not that it's easy, but if, becomes less um, you know, of a pressure that you don't know everything because you, you never know everything. And then you build your team around uh, yourself uh, if you're, you, know, you need extra help. So I, th I have to say that was the biggest learning and it was a great learning because it gave me comfort to move forward. Mm. No, sure. You said building a team there and I'm quite intrigued to know how you went about building, building a team. Like and if you thought it was going to be based on, like I said, what you don't know, or was it based on culture, or was it based on um, you know, people who had an invested interest that you, you knew? And, and just, so how did you go about building a team? And as a follow-up to this, when did you decide to build a team? Because salaries, you know, outgoing costs, is, is independence really on you making decisions? There's always a big step probably to make. Um, I, I remember when we first started, it was myself full-time and Floyd Pierce being part-time because um, he is full-time doctor, meaning that he's got only evenings that he can share his bed to Charcoal. And obviously it's a lot of work. And at that time, um, and every company decides to take uh, which uh, direction that they want to go for, we decided to, we raised our first fund straight after university graduation. We were I'm very lucky to meet, like, um, you know, get university fund as well. Um, so what we decided to actually do is work together with um, subcontractors. And the reason for that was because uh, you needed a lot of a team to be able to carry this project forward. And um, like looking for team members and like everything, it would have taken time. 
for mm. us, we are kind of, uh, I have to say, we're time sensitive because people with Parkinson's, I always kind of think about individuals. They don't have forever. They need the device right now. It can help them right now. If yeah. we can speedily get it out there, we will be making impact straight away. So uh, we started working with the subcontractors. So the company was going, but we obviously needed the team members. I still remember kind of trying to look for people and getting quite nervous about where do we find someone. And I <laughs> Floyd was saying, like, Lucy, don't try to kind of chase them down. If you keep on doing what you want to do and you're, you focus on your vision, the right people will find you. Yeah. And as soon as he actually said that, I was like, actually, that's very true. I'll just keep on doing uh, my thing. And I think like two or three days later, I went to a pitch event. And it wasn't for investment. It wasn't for anything. It was just to introduce what we are doing. And I met um, Alex, who is our uh, CEO now. And um, it was just like incredible because he was so aligned with the vision that we wanted to do. Lots of our team members, especially the early on our uh, founding team, I say, I have to say all of our team members are uh, founding team members and they were absolutely incredible people who yeah. have um, amazing hearts, amazing brain, um, just focusing on how can I use my skill to help people. And if you find those people, they will absolutely do anything that is required to build the company, not just, yeah. okay, this is my task, I'll just do this one. They will actually think about the, you know, the whole vision. So I always say, if you're building the team, find team members who are aligned with your vision, more important like um, thing is that rather than, okay, they're fit for the skill, then uh, bring them in. So that's kind of um, how we built the team. <laughs> No, no, no. That's great. It's 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 an always an, an important one because you know keeping someone's team aligned to vision, aligned to the purpose of what you're doing, and it's something about when we're building our teams in Cyprus, we're really careful of as well, um, because you have to match the purpose of the individual with the purpose of the project, um, because that's when you're going to get people going extra mile. That's when we're going to get um, really making a difference because these jobs aren't nine to fives are they exactly you've got to have that fire you've got to have that purpose right and that's really exciting so the news i'll let you announce the news we've, we've held off long enough um but you guys announced some, some some brilliant news um recently right yes that's correct so um Shaco have closed our seed round at um 10 million dollars in total and i believe that we are um, uh, biggest in the European this year and um, sixth, I think, in the world uh, for the seed side uh, fund. So, yes, it was very uh, exciting to close the um, fund because there are like 6,000 people on our waiting list who are waiting for us wow. to keep on working. So uh, we cannot wait to scale up our manufacturing, continue our R&D so we can further benefit lots and lots of people around the world as soon as possible no that's it, it's extraordinary um the funding you have and i wasn't aware you had a, a six thousand racing list so just to give an idea of the impact that money will, will have on not just on charco but the people how many users do you have at the moment or like so, <laughs> so at the moment i think um beta testers i believe that we've got just over 10 um and like but people who've tested the device i believe it's over around maybe 40 people 
Um, and uh, the reason why we had to let them test it and all of this is because we were learning as we go. The beta testers right now, they are basically our, you know, uh, uh, quality check uh, team members because okay. they're checking if the farmer is right, if the material is right, is the weight right. So we've got a quality check team who is um, people with Parkinson's who are currently using yeah. the devices. No, that, that's awesome. So you're going to go from 10 people using it to potentially enabling the waiting list to get to, 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 to have access to the, the, the first even Q1 or Q2, right? So he's mentioned R&D, and I've alluded to it there with the next, with the next one. <laughs> but what will it mean for the R&D, this, 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 uh, this funding? Yes, so um, we also have, so Q2 definitely, and the other thing is that uh, focused biotechnology stimulation and queuing phenomena is not just limited to people with Parkinson's. It has shown benefit for multiple sclerosis, stroke, and spinal cord injuries, and also um, like stammering and so on. Um, oh, really? Also, static tremor is actually another massive thing one that we are actually going to test from this weekend. Mm. Um, so we want to kind of see if there is further things that we can do in terms of other conditions. Uh, we will be continuously looking into what other things can we do to improve the symptoms for people with long-term conditions. Um, mm. the, the application that we're developing, which is tracking the symptoms of Parkinson's, um, we're very kind of seeing exciting uh, early findings with the data analysis. Um, we are really hoping that we can put more resource into uh, really getting into so that we can optimize the care and treatment for people with Parkinson's. No, that, that's awesome. I was, I, was, I was gonna ask sort of like, are you gonna be focusing solely on Parkinson's or any, any other areas that you can look at as well? Because I know that a lot of other um, businesses who get, a, get it right effectively on their sort of one area of care, Think right. Do we then specialize in this this vertical of care, let's say, or do we look at, you know, like you said, spinal injuries, um, stammers, and and such like that? For because I guess for me, what stands out for yourself is kind of connecting the dots on, on two phenomena, which is just hasn't been connected before, and then but making it a wearable device that isn't intrusive at all. Um, so I and I guess. Then with the R&D, you're making it more personalized and you kind of then it'll be, that'll be it, done, done. And you, you guys do, it's a B2C, right? So you go, you go straight to um, the individuals. Is that still going to be your sort of strategy moving forward or are you going to go down sort of a, a, a clinical route as well? Great, great question. So we are starting with B2C and the reason for that, once again, is because it's the fastest route to get to people. However, we are doing everything that is needed to get into B2B, basically getting the devices through the NHS, through our clinicians so that everyone can get an access to it. Um, the activities that we are obviously taking is the, you know, health economic analysis, further bigger trials, um, and then we can you know, convince clinicians as well as commissioners so that we can get the devices uh, into people's um, hands. Yeah, so that, that'd be awesome. And you know, there's, there's, a, there's a massive future. Um, I'm super excited. When we're connected during the summer, I was just like, this, this, could, this could be really interesting. And just listening and learning so much more on, on the podcast. Hopefully it's not going to be the only one that we do together um, as you travel through. Um, you know, I'm, I'm really excited by it. Um, 
I don't know if you have any particular things you want to highlight just before um, we, we finish about Charco um, or about your journey, what, what's coming up next or anything like that. Um, we are getting into preparing for the launch of our devices and we're doing everything that uh, we can do to get the devices before Christmas because it was always my dream to uh, get the devices for people with Parkinson's as a Christmas gift. It was something that I always kind of had from the beginning. Um, what I really want to mention is that, uh, you know, we are learning. I like all of our team members are learning as we go. We will never be perfect from the one go. Um, but we are so grateful of our communities with people with Parkinson's and their family members and clinicians and our advisors and everyone who so patient and really working together with us to, you know, help people. And I think um, there are some incredible people out there. When we were, you know, like small, lots of people were basically giving us, um, you know, advice without gaining anything, um, spending time with them, with us to give us an advice and really help us uh, with the focus and the direction. So I think we can make a lot of impact. I know, um, you know, it's not a cure, unfortunately. It's not, you know, finding the cause. However, we will continue to do our best within our capacity until uh, further research is done so that we can really beat this, um, you know, condition. So that's what I kind of wanted to mention. No, no, that, that's awesome. And, you know, what's, what's, what's been prevalent throughout this, this whole conversation is your passion, um, you know, not just for, for Charco, but for just delivering quality of care and bettering people's lives with Parkinson's um, and it, it's just inspiring and I'm you know I'm, I'm so pleased we had this chat and I'm so pleased that everyone's been able to, to, to listen to you and share your and be able to show your story because I really think that, that next year could be really interesting for you guys and to see where you go so it's been an absolute pleasure Lucy thank you very much for oh, not at all thank you thank you so much for your time and I hope that was helpful no worries thanks Lucy bye-bye thank you very much thank you Thank you so much for listening to that episode of LifeSight AI, the podcast series. If you would like to listen to any of the other series or episodes in this series too, then please go back and listen to them on either Spotify, Apple, or your favorite podcast hosting service. Alternatively, you can find out more and listen and watch to every episode on cyproglobal.com. Thank you and see you next time.